Floods of Justice is part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Follow the Holler for relentless coverage, shining a light on injustices throughout Tennessee. Find them online at tnholler.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the TN Holler. Episode 51 of Floods of Justice. We will be talking about Mary's song from the book of Luke. We'll be right back with Pastor Kevin Riggs. If you have your Bibles, open them to Amos chapter 5. And I want to read verse 24 where the prophet Amos says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, justice, justice. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Led by Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs, affectionately known as Pastor Kevin or Rev Kev, he is the senior pastor of Franklin Community Church and founder of Franklin Community Development in Franklin, Tennessee. He is also a published author, teacher, professor, activist, abolitionist, husband, father, grandfather, scuba diver, and coffee connoisseur, which is why this podcast is brought to you from the coffee house at Second and Bridge in downtown Franklin. Let's begin the conversation. Hello, listeners. Hello, Pastor Kevin. How you doing, man? I'm I'm good. I'm good. Episode 51, the final episode of season one, final episode of 2020. Yeah, yeah, this is it. I appreciate everybody who's listened to all the encouragement. And uh, sometime in January, we'll start back up. Don't have a specific date in mind, but get through all the holidays, see what COVID is going to be like first of the year. And uh, maybe we can go back to the coffee house. If not, we'll try to get the right equipment to be able to do it um, long distance. Yeah. The topic that you wanted to discuss on today's episode was especially encouraging and joyful, in my opinion, kind of going through the, the material beforehand. It was, it's, it's a nice way to end a really awful year is, is talking about the hope of, uh, of Christmas, of, of Christ, of the birth of Christ and what that means. And all that in the words of Mary, Mary's song, why don't you kind of set up where you want to go in today's episode? Yeah. Let me, let me explain what's going on. The last, um, really the last couple of weeks, uh, I've just kind of been doing a deep dive into, um, what we would call Mary's song, the more uh, formal people among us uh, would call it the Magnificat, um, but uh, Mary, but Mary's song, and uh, in, pre- in preparation for a Sunday before Christmas sermons. So I don't know when this podcast will be um, will be aired, but the Sunday before Christmas, this is this is my Sunday morning message, or this is based on my Sunday morning message um, from that, and. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm somewhat ashamed to admit that I've never preached a sermon from Mary's song. Now, I've preached sermons about Mary. I've done biographical studies on her and, and, and things like that. But this incredibly important passage of Scripture in Luke, after 31 years of being a pastor, and so that means 31 Sunday before Christmas sermons, <laughs> um, I haven't looked at this passage uh, as, as, uh, and the importance that it is uh, to the overall Christmas a message, and so um, it's a beautiful song, and it and it puts Mary, who who I hold the opinion that Mary was a young teenager, maybe just you know fourteen or fifteen years old, uh, but it took it puts Mary on the same level as the Old Testament prophets. Um, she she uses some Old Testament language, some pro, some prophetic language in this. I think um, you know if we had time to do a, a big background on Mary, you would see that she was brought up in the Jewish faith and knew the Old Testament very well. I mean, you know, God didn't just kind of pick somebody out of the blue to uh, be the mother of Christ. You know, he picked he picked a uh, a young lady who who um, was very very smart, you know, very intelligent, knew the Old Testament prophecies, 
um, very, very well. And, um, and her family would have been a very, very religious family. And by the time Christ came, um, there, there was a, a really a fever pitch that the Messiah would be coming soon. And, um, and there were people, uh, several people in history that you can read about who claimed to be the Messiah before Jesus was. In Act, in the book of Acts, there's reference to one person who, who came before Jesus came and said he was the Messiah and he was killed. Um, and obviously he wasn't the Messiah, but there was just this fever pitch that the Messiah was coming soon. And Mary and her family would have been right. They would have been some of the ones that were looking forward to the coming Messiah. And so the surprise was that Mary was going to play a role in it. She had no expectation of that, but um, she knew about the prophecies, I think, of, of the Messiah coming because she had been taught that from her family. And, um, and so, um, She's she's a she's an incredibly courageous young lady, and it, and it's just a shame that in the in the Protestant churches we don't emphasize Mary. It's almost like we're afraid if we talk about Mary too much, we'll be considered Catholic. Um, and so in our fear of 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 um, that, we've kind of downplayed her over the years, and she's not a very important person to the overall Christmas story, but also just the overall message of, of, uh, of the gospel. I mean, she would have been the very first person who accepted Jesus as the Messiah, you know, because she knew immediately that's what it was. Um, and here is a lady who, you know, they didn't have any social standing in that day, but yet, as we'll see in this Magnificent, um, she says some pretty harsh things. She says some hopeful things, but she delivers this message like an Old Testament prophet would deliver uh, would deliver a message. And I think that's, you know, it's unfortunate that, that, um, we, you know, we haven't really, again, as Protestants done a lot of, of, um, talking about Mary. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot in it that I think we at first glance take for granted. And then, uh, you know, I know you're going to go into the detail on this, but, uh, the, the relevance to, to today and kind of this movement of social justice in America it's it's pretty mind-boggling when you when you go back and you try and you know you it, things happened for real in the, in the Bible. So there's like there was a real in the moment uh, moment when this when this when this song came to be, but then there's a significance that is then added upon it from references to Old Testament. There's significance just in the life of Jesus from you know the last two thousand years. So there's there's a lot of layers that you can pile on and and lose that genuine first moment of praise from Mary's song here. But um, but there's anyways there's just there's yeah, so we, much. We've romanticized. I think we we've romanticized the Christmas story so much that yeah. we think it was this silent night, just this beautiful story. And and had forgotten how raw it was, the political ramifications that were going on in that day, how dangerous it was, how violent it was, and all of that. Um, and and these are these are real people. And I would challenge people to you know as, as we go over this today and, I'm, and as we read it, think of you know listen to Mary as if she is a prophetess, you know, and she's speaking with that authority uh, of a prophet. And uh, and then I think you really kind of catch to what's going on but yet she's a young teenager yeah who has this who is speaking with this authority and of course it becomes scripture so it's an ultimate authority uh, from that and so let me read it let me read all the verses first and then we, i want to talk about really the second the second half of the song um and the song can be divided into two you kind of have a um uh the the first half of the song is kind of more personal about mary 
and um, and a key word would be mercy, and then the second half is is about justice and social justice, and so and that's really the, that's really the message of the gospel. There's both there's both a personal aspect, um, you know, where Christ has shown me mercy and He has forgiven me of my sins, but now there's this social aspect where God wants to save the world and wants to transform societies and cultures uh, as well. And Mary hit and Mary hits both of that, and she knows that her son is coming to do what the Old Testament prophets had said uh, the Messiah would do, and that would put him in a dangerous position as well. So so anyway, a quick, quick background. Mary, the, the angel Gabriel has come and told Mary she's going to be with child and, and give birth and name him Jesus and all of that. And Mary says, but I'm, you know, I'm not married. I'm, I'm a virgin. And the angel says, God can do anything. And, and, so, and, so, and so she conceives. Then she goes to her aunt's house, Elizabeth. Gabriel says, your Elizabeth, your relative, um, is pregnant. She's been with child for three months. And so Mary goes to see to see her. Elizabeth and uh, her husband, Zacharias, they are the parents of John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist and Jesus were, were related. Um, John the Baptist was about three months older than, uh, than, um, uh, than Jesus. And, and then right before Mary sing, breaks into her song, as soon as Elizabeth sees Mary, and the implication is that Elizabeth does not know that Mary is pregnant, but as soon as Elizabeth sees Mary, John the Baptist from the womb in Elizabeth jumps for joy. And so Elizabeth immediately says, you have been favored. And somehow or another through that, Elizabeth knows that the child that Mary's carrying is going to be the Messiah. Um, and so and so Elizabeth kind of prophesies over Mary uh, at that point. And, uh, and then Mary breaks out in song. Um, and so it says in verse 46 of Luke chapter 1, and, uh, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. That's the, that's the NIV. Um, the Latin Vulgate, trans, you know, a lot of, of early church mass, mass was in Latin, and the Latin Vulgate is the word magnificent or magnificent. And the King James, I think, translates it magnificent. So that's where the title comes from, the magnificent. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul glorifies the Lord, Mary says, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. So she's talking about herself now. She has been mindful of me. This is what God has done for me. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. And that's, she's not bragging when she says that. It's really humility. Because she knows what's about to happen. She knows the importance and the significance and the burden of it. And she's saying, my soul is going to, you know, the generations are going to are going to know about this. And so it's not a She's not bragging, but rather it's humility when she says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. I haven't done anything to earn any of this. It is only by God's grace, only by God's mercy, that I even find myself in this situation. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. So, Really, you know, she, she's saying, look, this is what God has done for me, and, and he can do the same thing for you. Now, not, you know, give you a child like this, but the mercy and the grace that God has extended to Mary. Mary is saying that God extends extends that uh, to others as well. And so that's that first half of that song, and it's that personal, for lack of a better phrase, that personal salvation. The problem is in the West, especially among us as evangelicals, is we've made everything about Christianity individual. It's all about my personal relationship with Jesus, um, that, and that's important. 
but that's only half of the gospel message. And it's only half of the message of Christmas. And so then Mary changes tunes a little bit. And in verse 51, he says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled with he has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. So what I want to focus on, because this is floods of justice, you know, so I really want to focus on this part of the Christmas message that has to do with justice. And uh, and in Mary's song, the Magnificent, that is verses 51, 52, and 53. Um, back in the in the mid 1900s, there was a Scottish theologian by the name of William Barclay. He died in 1978. And William Barclay defined the Magnificent as revolutionary. Now we read it very very quickly, and and maybe we have images of Oh Holy Night in our head. <laughs> You know, all is calm, all is bright. But but Dr. Barclay said, no, 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 this is revolutionary. And then looking at the Magnificent, he says in verse 51 that the Messiah is going to come to bring about a moral revolution. In verse 52, Dr. Barclay says that the Messiah will come about and bring a social revolution. He's going to upend things. And then in verse 53, he says that's an economic revolution. This message of Jesus is revolutionary. And if it's not revolutionary, if all it does is, is make you feel better about yourself, then you, you really haven't gotten what the message of Christ is about and what the message of Christmas is about. The kingdom of God is breaking through, and that changes everything, and that upends the power structures of the day. So there's this, you know, thank God that he has shown me his mercy, but now. He's going to show justice uh, uh, to people. And so, again, we have individualized the gospel to the point that we have made it irrelevant to society as a whole. You know, don't talk about your faith. Don't you know, keep it to yourself. Don't mix religion and politics. We made it all about the individual, and as a result, it's become irrelevant. Uh, but get this. In modern history, the Magnificent, has been banned by various governments to say in public. Could not say this in public. And here's just some examples. When the British ruled India, the Magnificent was prohibited from being sung in churches. Why? Because they understood how revolutionary these words were. If people really believed that God was going to overthrow the government, he was going to feed the hungry, and he was going to um, send the rich people away, that messes up with the system, so you don't want people to see that. During the dirty war in Argentina, and, and th that took place in 1976 to 1983, after uh, the mothers of disappeared children plastered in protests at the capital at the capital in Argentina, the words of the Magnificent, um, the military banned those words from being said in public. You know, so you got Argentina, a strong Catholic um, country. And um, because of the revolutionary idea behind Mary's song, uh, the military banned it. 
And then in, in the 1980s, the Guatemalan government banned the public recitation of these verses. Couldn't say it in public. And while our churches have not banned it outright, to be honest with ourselves, we've stripped it of its power because, let me ask you, you've been at my church for a long time. Have you ever heard anybody preach from this passage and say this is about revolution? No, I know. I was even and raised so we, Catholic. But, uh, you know, in yeah. the early years, I don't think I paid that closely close attention. So they may have mentioned it, but I never heard it in the context of revolutionary or social justice. It was just. Yeah. Yeah. And remember, ultimately, this is what gets Jesus killed. You know, Jesus wasn't crucified because he was a nice guy. You know, he was crucified because what he was saying and teaching was, was disrupting the, the way things were. And he was, and he was saying the oppressed need to be set free. Uh, you know, governments can't be doing this now, you know, uh, now there's that individual part of it, but there's this social, if all Jesus was doing was going around healing people and making them feel better about themselves, why would they want him dead? But he was messing with the systems of that day, both the religious power structure and the, and the governmental power structure. And so those two institutions combined to get rid of him. Uh, He was a revolutionary. Um, and uh, he was the son of God. He was God. He, he died for our sins. We cannot ever forget that. But he came to transform societies as well. And uh, when you follow Christ, once you recognize the mercy that he's given you, then you then you have to speak out on justice issues. You have to, uh, because that's what Jesus did. And um, and so you can't you can't keep it in uh, in anymore. And so, you know, why, and so let me back up just a little bit. So why did, why did these governments prohibit um, the Mary song from being said in public? Uh, it's because governments understood something that many of us Christians have forgotten. And that is the message of Christmas offers hope. And it offers real hope. It doesn't offer hope that, you know what, you're going to get a food basket delivered by somebody, but it offers hope. That you that that there is uh, systemic injustices in our society that is keeping people poor, and if we follow Christ and 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 um, implement His teachings, then poverty is gone. You know, the rich go away empty, and the poor are fed. That's not just you know uh, a one-time thing, and it's not. And he's not talking about spiritual poverty there. He's talking about real. Here is Mary, who was who is part of the poorest of the poor, born on the backside of nowhere, um, in a in a town that would be on the other side of the tracks. She becomes pregnant out of wedlock. I mean, she's got everything stacked against her, but yet she is she's the one who says, "God has had mercy on me, and 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 He's going to do this for generations, and He's going to bring down the political powers." He's going to change the economic structures. He, he's going to change um, the status. There's no more rich or poor. Uh, he's changing all of that. And by he, she's referring to the child in her womb, you know, who more than likely has not even been there long enough or she can even feel him. Yeah. You know, the idea is she's pretty new pregnant when she goes to see Elizabeth. You know. um, and, uh, but the moment that that child in Elizabeth's womb jumps, Elizabeth says, that's the Messiah, and Mary breaks out into this prophetic song. Uh, and it's a song of mercy. That's the personal side of it. 
and it's a song of justice, which is the social uh, side of it. The message of Christmas forgives sins, it changes cultures, and it challenges the social, economic, and political institutions um, that oppress people. That's the message of Christmas. Any comments? I mean, I don't want to preach. That's that's for Sunday, but <laughs> yeah, know, no. But, I mean, what question for you? You know, in in modern America, and especially now, there's the discussion of uh, of social justice and the the systems that are oppressing people. At the time of of Mary, you know, you've you've got a people, the Israelites, that were hopeful for this Messiah. What was what was their take at the time, uh, their view towards the poor? Because I think America has a different view right now, at least a large part of America that seems to think, oh, this is the land of opportunity. If you just work hard, you'll get what you deserve. And we don't, you know, we have poor here because they choose to be that way, which is not the case. But uh, at the time, you know, you had uh, people who were coming out of slavery, um, had a history of slavery in their, you know, vast history. So what, what was their opinion? Was this radical and revolutionary that, that there would be ministry, uh, that Jesus would be coming for the poor? Were yeah. I think as the Jews were, um, they were under oppression by the Roman government. Now it wasn't slavery type of oppression, although a large percentage, you know, some people say as many as a third of the population of Rome were slaves. And that was they, a financial slave. debt slave? Yeah, they would have been slaves for different reasons. Okay. Um, but they, but the majority of people in throughout Palestine, the Roman world, were poor. You had, you had the, you didn't have a class system. You had a caste system, uh, more or less, where you had the wealthy, the people who were in power, and then the poor. But then the Jews were among the poor, and then Nazareth would have been the poorest of the poor. Um, you know, there were there were jokes about people who lived in Nazareth, which is why uh, when, when one of the, the disciples before he became a disciple heard that Jesus was from Nazareth, he said, can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, like, can anything good come from that swamp? I mean, can anything good come from that backwoods area? Because those, those are uneducated, barbaric people. Um, and so there was this oppression. Now, it, it, I think it had been more similar to apartheid where, uh, you know, you had the power structure, but yet you had people who were poor um, and they were oppressed, but they may or may not have known they were really oppressed. They could have just thought they were poor. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I got you. And they didn't really understand that the systems that were set up by the Romans kept the Jewish persons down unless you compromise. And so what you had with both the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sadducees especially, the Sadducees were Jews who really got in bed with the political power of the day. Um, and so the Sadducees kind of lifted themselves up. If you were a Sadducee, you were a Jew, but you were kind of a well-off Jew because you had you had um, basically compromised what you believed for political power, you know, which is a whole other thing we path we could go down. The Pharisees were more conservative; they wanted things to remain the same. Uh, but yet, you know, in order to help keep peace, the the Pharisaical leaders would have been given privileges by the Roman government that the regular um, Jewish person wouldn't have had from that. And so there was this idea that, the, that and also most of the time in the Gospels, I, I've long, I can't remember the word, but the word that is translated poor means people who are poor 
because of the system in which they live. It's not this person is poor because they wasted their money. But the idea of the word poverty in the Greek that's used in the gospel is there, there is oppression going on that is keeping this person poor. So blessed are the poor. Blessed are the people who, because of the system they live in, things are stacked against them and they're being oppressed by the economic system. Blessed are the poor. So saying that, go ahead, go ahead. But saying in in scripture uh, that there will always be the poor among us is really a condemnation of there will always be the greedy among us who who will create systems that will keep the poor. It's not that, oh, it's, you know, it's something that'll never go away. Here's the problem. The problem isn't the poor and the poverty. The problem is the greed and the systems that are being built to maintain that. Yeah. We got a whole podcast on that, that we did way back in the day. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so long oh, ago, man. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. And so now, now here's what's interesting, at least. To some, and by the time the Messiah comes, um, in a sense, the Jewish people, because of their oppression, they had, they had emphasized the social structure of it too much. And so they saw Jesus, they saw the Messiah as just being political, and that's it. He was going to take up arms. Uh, he was going to be mili- the Messiah would be a military political person who was going to overthrow the Roman government and put the Jews back in control. And so they had emphasized that social side too much and had forgotten about really the the individual mercy that people are shown. Today, at least in the West, in our society, we've emphasized the other extreme, where it's all about the individual and nothing to do with society. You know, so and so they were looking at the Messiah as being totally political. We look at the Messiah as if there is no politics involved whatsoever. Did you hear all that? I did. I did. Sorry, I had to plug in a battery. My phone was yeah, no, no, low battery on me. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. We'll so that's where it's 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 mercy and justice. It's not one or the other. It's mercy and justice. And it's always been that way since the Old Testament. That's all. That's what God has talked about is that there is mercy. That's the individual component of the gospel and justice, which is the social component of the gospel. And you have to have both. It's two sides of the same coin. It's two wings on the same bird, mercy and justice. And Mary captures that beautifully in her song. The first half is about the mercy and the second half is about justice. Um, and, um, and people understood that to where they banned that song being read in public because they understood what the implications of what Mary was saying was going to do. You really believe this, man, a lot things, the, our political system, our economic system, our moral system, as Barclay said, uh, all of that is going to be upended by people who follow Jesus. If we let this go on. You know, these people who we have oppressed and who have been comfortable in their oppression are now seeing that Jesus has set them free and they're going to want their rights. They're going to want to overthrow the structures that have been keeping them and others down and keeping us in power. If that that makes any sense. Yeah. The Floods of Justice podcast is brought to you by the Coffee House at Second and Bridge. Since 1904, they have stood at the corner of Second and Bridge Street in the heart of downtown Franklin. Their house-made menu items are crafted with care and love. Baked goods are made from scratch each morning, and specialty coffee is always ground and brewed fresh. 
So come on down, wander the rooms, join us at the coffee bar, and find a space to enjoy the food, the drink, and maybe even a recording of the Floods of Justice podcast. Welcome back to Floods of Justice, episode 51. We are talking about Mary's song in the book of Luke, and we've kind of been talking about the the historical background on that. Um, Pastor Kevin, what direction you want to head now? Well, you know, as I stated earlier, Mary, Mary's song, I think, puts her on the same level as the Old Testament prophets. So I don't think you would be wrong in saying that Mary was a prophetess. Um, and uh, so I want to talk about that a little more, that she didn't just, her song didn't just kind of come out of nowhere. It came out of her understanding of the Old Testament, really. Um, and so, again, her, her family would have been highly religious. Joseph's family would have been highly religious as well where they understood the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. And then they were living during this time when there was a fever pitch that the Messiah was coming soon. And so, um, and so her song is prophetic, basically is what I'm trying to say. And, um, and I want to put it in the it's Old Testament context, mainly Isaiah, because Jesus quoted Isaiah more than any other Old Testament prophet. And so here are some things Isaiah said about the Messiah. And, and as you hear the, these scriptures, you'll see, okay, that's a little bit of what Mary's saying in her, in her song. In Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4, Isaiah prophesied, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nation. Now notice, and again, I don't want people to read too much into this because it's both mercy and justice. But Isaiah says that the Spirit is going to be on the Messiah. And the very first thing Isaiah says is that he's going to bring justice to the nation. He doesn't say he's going to die for everybody's sins and forgive them. Now, he says that later. But the first thing he says is that when the Messiah comes, he will bring justice to the nation. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged. So he establishes justice on earth. So guess what? Justice is a big deal. And then again, in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6, um, he's, Isaiah says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. So here's the mercy part of it. He was, you know, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Now, I got to say this. The King James says, by his stripes, we are healed. And so, you know, my favorite group is Striper. Yeah. From that verse, right? But this is the mercy aspect. I just read where Isaiah said that Jesus is coming to to bring justice to the earth. And now here's the mercy aspect. But he's going to have to bear our transgressions. He's going to bear our sin. By his stripes, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then early in his prophecies, in Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah said, For for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so through Isaiah's prophecy, the Messiah is described as bringing redemption and salvation to people and nations. There is an individual conversion, but then that but then that should result in social transformation. Salvation is both personal and public. It is both individual and social. And then quoting from Isaiah in describing his own ministry, Jesus said in Luke chapter four, so just a few chapters from Luke chapter one, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Really, what Jesus is saying is reemphasizing what his mother said. In fact, I was reading one of the articles um, about this, and, and they tried to describe this Mary's song, and it's really beautiful if I can do it the right way. You know, we're like a lot of moms will sing to their children when their children are in the womb. So the idea was that Mary probably often, if not daily, sang this song to Jesus when he was in the womb. And so, you know, before Jesus was born, he was being reminded, this is what you're going to do. And then when he goes to his hometown synagogue, and preaches his first sermon, he quotes from Isaiah, and basically says what his mom had been singing to him since he was in the womb. The same message. It's redemption, it's reconciliation, it's it's personal, it's public, it's individual, and it's social. It's mercy and justice. That's, that's the message uh, of Christmas. And so, I guess what I'm trying to say is um, that this is what the Magnificent says. The radical, relevant message of Christmas has always been the gospel message of mercy and justice, personal conversion and public transformation, both individual and social salvation. And when you emphasize one over the other, you're missing what the gospel message really is all about. Comment. Yeah. Well, when I, when I read this, I immediately uh, thought in the uh, right before, well, right as Mary shows up to Elizabeth, it says that uh, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy spirit. And then I just thought, boy, I mean, the old Testament prophets, if, if they were doing what they said they were doing, which was relaying the word and the heart of God, the Holy Spirit was speaking through them thousands of years before then, and the Holy Spirit showed up there right when Elizabeth, when uh, when Mary walked up. So you've got the Holy Spirit there with them, and any two that are gathered in my name, I will be there in their midst. They were obviously gathered in his name, and this mm-hmm. utterance uh, is consistent with with the heart of God and the, and the Word of God, whether it was delivered hundreds of years before that, thousands, if it was delivered today. It's like, that's the rubric of, all right, is this consistent? Is Jesus, are we doing what Jesus, what Jesus said he was going to do? What Mary said Jesus was going to do and what the prophets of old said the Messiah was going to do. 
And if it hits the ball every time, you go, all right, it's consistent with what God said. And that just, it, it, it hit it. It's, it's, it's inspired. It's amazing, you know, that a, that a teenage girl would say those things. But it's not so unbelievable when you think of, well, it's the Holy Spirit. God speaking through somebody. And there's times where, where you feel like, man, I, you pray something and you're, you're, you're feeling like that. I, that didn't come from me, you know, and you, that's one of the things that I would just love to be <laughs> really good at and have lots of experience with is praying in the spirit and feeling like, all right, this is, yeah. I really am speaking what God's will is in this moment because I'm so close to what he wants for me and for whoever I'm praying about. I yeah. don't, I don't. And you know, this is a little bit of a side note, but if I can say this as a, as, as a person who is pro-life and believes pro-life is more than just, um, you know, anti-abortion. I mean, it's, you know, it's, we've talked about that. It's everything from womb to tomb. The first person to believe in that Jesus was the Messiah was a, was a poor teenage girl. The second person uh, to believe Jesus was the Messiah was an unborn child. Yeah. You know, in the womb, John the Baptist leaps. Um, you know, then the third person was another lady, um, Elizabeth, um, who was past childbearing age. And so her pregnancy was a miracle in and of itself from that. And so these are people who would have been on the oppressed on the low end of the spectrum. And they're the ones who are first professing their faith that Jesus is the Messiah. It's not the power. It's the oppressed. Um, and be- why? Because Jesus says that he that or God has always said that he is on the side of the poor. And he is about mercy and justice. And uh, just to simplify things, mercy is, is that individual component. Justice is that social uh, is that social component from that. So, you know, here, here's some takeaways. Um, you know, the Magnificent is an outline or foreshadowing of everything that Jesus is going to do. Basically, Mary says all that the Old Testament had said and what Jesus says in Luke 4, of this is the job of the Messiah. Now, keep this in mind, with the exception of this first thing I'm going to say, we are the church is now the incarnation of Christ in the world today. So what Jesus did, we're supposed to be doing. Well, Jesus came to forgive sins and reconcile people to God. Now, we can't forgive sins, but we are the stewards of the message that in Christ there is forgiveness of sins, and in Christ you are reconciled to God. So, the, so we are to be doing that. We are to be telling people that you can be reconciled to God. Um, but also what we see is that Jesus will scatter the proud and the self-righteous by exposing their true selves. And so we have to, you know, but now if you do that, you're going to get, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Uh, but Jesus came and he will, and he says he will challenge powerful Kings like Herod, like Herod and Caesar by demonstrating the power of love. And so we are to speak the truth in love. Plain and simple. It doesn't matter if the person in power is, is a is you know a, a business owner or a Republican or a Democrat or a governor or a president or a mayor? As Christians who are serious about mercy and justice, we have the authority to speak the truth to power, but we're to speak it in love because that's what that's what Jesus did. Um, and and there's nothing as powerful as love. Jesus will advocate for justice, mercy, and peace. This is what the Mary's song is saying, and so now as his body, we're to be advocating for justice, mercy, and peace. Jesus will sit with the poor, the hungry, the sinners, the outcasts, and he will fill them with hope. Um, and that's what we are to be doing. We are to be filling people with hope 
And the people who need hope the most are the people who are the poor and the outcast and the forgotten about in our society. They're the ones who need the hope. He will denounce the wealthy who oppress the poor. He would, If Jesus were alive today, he would be all over tax breaks going only to the wealthy and not, and not to the poor. He would say something about a living way. I'm confident he would. You're not, you're not, and Paul addresses that, that you need to give a labor what he is, what he is due. Um, and so he would denounce the, how the wealthy oppress the poor. Um, he will expect his followers to deny themselves every day, pick up their cross and follow him. He, he would expect that from us. And finally, as the church, the body of Christ, Jesus incarnate in the world today, Jesus expects us to continue doing what he did, which is proclaiming his message of mercy and justice. You cannot do one without doing the other. Mercy and justice. Um, individual conversion, but social transformation. Mercy and justice. That's the message. That's the message of Jesus. It's radical. It's relevant. And as, and as Dr. Barkley said, it's revolutionary. Revolution. Well, 2020 has definitely given us given us opportunity to apply everything that we have talked about over 51 episodes on <laughs> floods of justice. Especially this one here kind of summarizes it all, uh, you know, and what we are called to do as believers and how that applies to our our current world. Uh, we are at a changing point in America where we will have a shift to a new president, shift to a new year shift to uh, a vaccine for a virus and we don't know you know how any of this is going to play out um, but we appreciate all the listeners that have joined us for 2020 and and, uh, and for our run with these episodes any uh, any thoughts on uh, on season one well no I, I appreciate the coffee house yeah I appreciate uh, Justin canoe and the Tennessee holler for picking us up um, you know uh, he he is he has really uh, stretched himself, I think, by allowing us to uh, to say things that we say, and uh, and so I, I appreciate his support, um, and uh, and appreciate all the all the other uh, podcasts on the Tennessee Holler uh, from that, and uh, just hoping you know we've learned a lot uh, doing this, and uh, hopefully next year will be even better. We'll we'll have more guests. I enjoy having guests more than just myself. Sure. Um, so, um, you know, we, there's a lot of things that we got to deal with from, from a new president, but then even local, you know, with, um, things going on at the state level and then even in our own, um, in our own county, you know, we, we live in a very wealthy county and I think because we live in a wealthy county, um, over and over again, we got to remind people about oppression and, uh, um, you know, and look, you're blessed to be a blessing. So don't, uh, don't, don't keep it yourself. Thank God for the blessing that you have, but you're blessed to be a blessing. And so, um, you know, if, if, um, if you're ministering with the poor, you need to offer comfort, but if you're ministering with the wealthy, sometimes you gotta offer, you have to offer conviction. You you gotta, you gotta make, make them feel uncomfortable so that they will continue to pursue after things that are really righteous and not just their own, not just their own wealth. Pleasure, justice. Yeah. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Well, thank you, listeners, for joining us today. Thank you for joining us all season long. 
and we look fo- forward to uh, to season two of Floods of Justice in 2021. Until then, have a wonderful uh, set of holidays here coming up, and uh, stay safe and healthy, and we will see you in the new year. All right, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Join the conversation online at floodsofjustice.com or find the Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs on Twitter at Riggs underscore Kevin. Floods of Justice is part of the Tennessee Holler podcast network. Follow the Holler for relentless coverage, shining a light on injustices throughout Tennessee. Find them online at tnholler.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the TN Holler.